Welcome to the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. This is a podcast about board games and RPGs, where a lot of opinions and conclusions are formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics. Amazing Stories is the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for the Best Comic Book Store in Canada and is a two-time finalist for the Eisner Award for Best Store Worldwide. The entire staff are true nerds who love pop culture as much as their clients. And Dragon's Den Games, Saskatoon's premier gaming store. Check out the board games, the RPG systems, and all the major miniature games, and a wide selection of gaming and RPG accessories. Dragon's Den Games, a haven for the imagination. Hi there, I'm your host Norm, and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode, bringing back the Designers Series, and uh, very fortunate and very happy to have on the episode from Ruinhammer Games, Hankren Furnail, also known as Brandish Gilhelm. And uh, yeah, you're, you're going to find out why that's kind of, kind of funny, you know, on me. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Um, I am fired up. I can't tell you how much uh, I am uh, ready to uh, just start talking, but I have to give some context because this is an episode of the designer series. And typically I have uh, board game designers on and I thought, you know, there's times where it's RPG and it's TTRPG. And I'm thinking, hey, we're sitting at a table and we're being social. Check good enough for me. So I opened up the uh, the range of uh, of my choices of who I wanted to talk to, and I, through the discovery of what I'm doing with my instructional design ideas and trying to teach other teachers new ways of bringing cool stuff to the classroom, um, I wanted to do uh, collective, uh, like narrative storytelling ideas, and of course I got to do my homework, and I stumbled upon probably one of the most creative and, um, you know, chop, chop, let's get to it, ideas of playing role-playing games. And it was uh, Index Card RPG or uh, IC RPG. And I'd like to welcome uh, Hank. It's hankering for an ale, like you're anchoring for an <laughs> ale. <laughs> hankering for an ale. Oh, I just got on out. <laughs> <laughs> It oh, takes time for oh, some people. <laughs> it's like Canadian and me. Hey, it's cold up here, eh? We're really like six to eight weeks late. <laughs> um, uh, but Ruin Hammer Games came about, uh, uh, and uh, ICRPG uh, is just this little gem that I've heard everybody talking about on YouTube. Um, but what the benefit was is it, is it allowed me as a... Uh, uh, avid and chronic D and D player to step back and go, well, there's there's more choice than just chocolate ice cream, and just open it up. And man, I am so glad that I came across uh, you and Ruinhammer. So yeah. welcome. Introduce yourself. Let us know what's going on. Like, ooh, nice to be here. Well, uh, Anchor and Fernail is one of my many 
I don't know, monikers. People who play a lot of D&D often have many different names from over the years and they kind of stick with you. Um, so my real name is not Hank Infernale, but I am generally Hank Infernale. Um, uh, yeah, my real name is Brandon. And uh, yeah, I, I am known for writing index card RPG and Runehammer has several role-playing things you can look into if you want. I've also done some fantasy novel stuff, some card game stuff, and uh, I write horror short stories and I just am sort of a writer and artist. Uh, my, my background is mostly in the video game industry. Yeah, where I was a concept artist and a sort of creative director for many years. And um, yeah, that's me. So cool. if you look at the word Runehammer, you'll you'll find me. I kind of really own that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, we'll we'll back up a bit because you basically gave us that whole uh, um, movie trailer run through. Um, I, I I'm a big fan. Um, in my in in my conversational. Uh, interview process. I'm a big fan of that whole, let's establish um, all the issues that we had as a kid, because that's basically going to framework how we deal with our life. Okay. okay. Prepare for Yeah, real. So um, uh, first things first, born and raised Philly. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. I am, I am a, uh, a child of the world. Really. I was actually born in Guam, if you can believe it. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, and I've moved around kind of all my life, not like every month or something, yeah. but yeah, the longest I've ever lived in one place was probably, um, the Cascades outside of Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, where I lived almost 20 years. That was the longest I ever lived in one place. So usually I live somewhere about three to five years. And then the sort of the call of adventure kind of <laughs> summons me somewhere else. So I actually, I live in Philly right now as, as, um, many folks know about me. Um, but I've only lived here three years and I think we're kind of getting ready to go back to the Cascades for a little while and kind of regroup in the forest and decide what the next adventure will be. So yeah, I kind of move all over all the time. Cool. Then when you, and that's interesting because as you're talking about that and I've, me being a teacher, did my homework. I watched a lot of your AMA, AMA uh, YouTube stuff just to just to get this whole breadth of, you know, what I could talk about and what I could put together in my head. And uh, yeah, that that is very reminiscent of what I've seen on your projects because there's not, it's not like you sit down and lock in and go, I'm going to have this one idea and it's going to be the, the, the big tree root or the big trunk of everything. You're like, I want to go here. I want to play over here. This sandbox looks fun. I don't want to go in this sandbox. Absolutely. And that's absolutely how my brain works right now. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it's it's actually a lot of people are that way. I think it's just um, not as many people have the the freedom and the luck and, and just the sort of the fortune to chase their nose around. Um, but I do think a lot of people kind of dream about it a little bit and their brains kind of run away with them like that. I think just sometimes adult life can make that difficult. <laughs> yeah. I think you're you're much like me in the idea of being creative and, and having a lot of things on the go that um, a friend of mine kind of not accused me, but went, oh, yeah, well, you procrastinate a little bit. And my wife goes, nah, he incubates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there. I love it. <laughs> right. Because all of a sudden I'll be I'll be, you know, writing something down. All of a sudden I'll just it'll be like she just says it's like a meerkat just pops its head up and then runs away. 
because I'll go into the garage and then start carving an idea and then stop and then come back in and right. So I see like, that. I'll go though. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pavlov has his way with me. Um, uh, so talk to me about. Uh, let's get straight into that whole um, design creative. Uh, few that Venn diagram of when my my professional ish life overlaps my hobbies and because uh, uh, we got to know the origin story of your RPG or your I mean every I think everybody comes from a D and D route. Uh, I don't actually. Okay, well, they're perfect. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about you know playing and like the RPG hobby aspect of it, um, yeah, start there. I started. I started in the early '80s, and I started with GURPS and TMNT and Rifts, um, and kind of kludging those together. Shadowrun Second Edition, mm-hmm. um, and we did all that for years before I really, honestly, even knew D and D existed. <laughs> I actually played a uh, Fantasy Hero. Um, Long before I even knew, like the phrase Dungeons and Dragons, I actually I think I found out about D and D mainly from the cartoon, um, and even then the cartoon was already kind of old. Yeah, I somehow missed it, but I didn't care because I was into all these other weird ones, um, which at the time didn't seem. That's why I always where I always feel a little funky when people mention old school, is because to me old school isn't D and D. It was actually yeah. like, like I think of rifts as really really old school. Um, but we played in that kind of world. We played in a very, you know, psycho goreman kind of, um, I don't know, anthropomorphic animal, cyberpunkish kind of world. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time before we just found out about like sort of mainline fantasy um, and put like Tolkien and, and role playing together. And then we're like, you know, and mainly at the at the behest of like my sort of mentor D&D's guy named Dave. He was about three years older than us. And he did his first uh, little stint in the military. And then he had like a time back in our town before he wound up going to Germany or something. We had like a year and a half and he ran our group. And he was the one who sort of, I think, you know, like gateway drugged me into, <laughs> you know, like center line fantasy. And that's when I really found out about D&D. And also I found out about how Dave, especially being a little bit older than us high school kids, he had thrown off the yoke of being told what to do in a way. Mm-hmm. And so he would take ideas from anything. And we basically had a rule that if you could point to it in something somewhere in front of the other players, it had to be accommodated by the table. Yeah. So there was no just whole cloth invention, but if you had any other book and you could kind of give a specific enough piece of text to say like, this should be part of our game, then we would all kind of nod and be like, yeah. And collective consensus kind of thing. Yeah, and just that's how we came to have such low regard for any given book or system or setting of any kind. We just, uh, and we weren't doing that because that was cool or better or or anything. We just, it's just what we were doing. We hadn't, we had really no purpose. Um, and that's really where I sort of began. So by the time I got into college, and of course, you know, you always have a group going, sometimes two groups, um, <laughs> then that not only continued, but uh, like so many, you know, college kids out there in all generations, it's definitely when your, your mind opens up a, a great deal to the size of the world, different kinds of people, 
different levels of maturity and different age groups and like that. Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson, I've never read him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's going in. It's going in the damn game. Um, and so that's when we really started like mind expanding uh, our D&D. &D. We were playing out of the the second edition rules cyclopedia with the, the dragon on the cover mm -hmm. uh, in college. But we were we were reaching a point where we, we, we were even hesitant to call it D&D. It was just our thing. And I thought that's what everyone did. And that is right about when the internet was invented, when I was in about the middle of college. Um, and of course, with the internet, that really is what, I mean, this is a bit of a boomer speech I'm giving here, but that that is truly when it like vastly changed. Yeah. Uh, and the pace of comprehending other people's weird foibly hobby styles like vastly accelerated up to that moment. I mean, you maybe had like, you were reading like Dragon Magazine mm -hmm. and maybe you like knew a guy in your hometown and that was it. Like you, the bubbles were so independent. What people were doing. Yeah. yeah, everyone was on their own and you, you kind of interpreted it your own way and you really had no, and also it was kind of something that a lot of people were not comfortable talking about publicly. <laughs> no, it was, it was like, you know, rub your cheek and you nod your head and uh, brush oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, give the, you know, give the, uh, yeah. And it, it really was something that a lot of people were embarrassed about, I think, or just maybe not embarrassed, but didn't want to bring it up. Yeah. And so it was so private. And I think that that's where some of the, uh, the sort of, as you mentioned, like tree roots from, from index card RPG came is like, this kind of irreverence about what you're doing. Like you really owe no one anything mm -hmm. like it's yours. So why not just completely own it? And I, I, I don't think it's like anathema or counter to like playing within a system and knowing a system yeah. well and being in there and being by the rules and stuff that rock on yeah. with that. I have nothing against that. I just wanted to be a voice for this kind of hermetic kind of isolated, weird D and D cult that I came from. And lift it up and, and celebrate it. And that's what gave rise to, to the ICRPG book over time. Yeah. Well, following a lot of the uh, AMAs that you were that you have on your YouTube channel, um, I connected with, and, and again, from my side as being a teacher and, you know, these published curriculums about this is how we want you to teach this. And here's here's an example. I'm the first one who goes, uh, no, crap. I'll do it my way, right? Um, it's like, it's, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's sort of like, yeah, that's a nice perspective. That's a nice angle, but I have a better angle and I'll do, you know, it's like, I'll still be inside your lanes, but I'm gonna give it my own flair. And I totally agree with um, your ideas before about um, the book isn't the rules. The book is suggestions. And, and, and uh, if you wanna, like you said, if the table wants to, divert and and create a consolidated uh, idea like uh, uh, we'll get into into the game system because I, I love uh, how you conceptualize a lot it's sort of like taking here instead of here this huge formula of of you attack with this number and here's the whole pro let's just conceptualize it and you're close enough let's go and and roll right I mean Let's let's get into straight into that because I think we're dancing around the edges of this thing. So, talk about yeah when 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 you finally decided hey this is a solid idea let's put let's put this out there because it's you know 
you know, as you just said, you've play tested it for decades now, right? Where in, I, I think uh, not this, but, but the, but the, the, the yeah. journey of trying to find it. Yeah. was going on since I was a little kid. The incubation of it. You're not procrastinating. Yeah, I, I had a really long time timer on this bad boy. <laughs> This meerkat could not find the surface for a long time. <laughs> it's frozen. <laughs> but uh, I guess the real turning point we we did, uh, and these none of these ideas are really new per se. But we did turn a big corner in which we divided things into dice, and we found that a lot of our dice were getting neglected, and we didn't like that. And one of the the things that we did, and this was long before I even thought we were working on it. We were just, I have no idea what we're doing. We're just doing what we do. And so that's when kind of like, you know, when you, when you have crummy implements or no implements at all, you're kind of doing a D4 of whatever it is you're doing. But if the guy next to me is trying to read a book, he's getting D4 progress per turn. And I have like a magnifying glass and like a magic ring that helps me read orcish or whatever, mm -hmm. then I'm like making like D8 of progress per turn. And we're both reading the same weird orcish book. Yeah. And that little leap that we did of like divvying the dice into categories and sort of echelons of everything being damaged, yeah. like every task you do is kind of being damaged by you in a way. That was definitely a huge turning point. And the other one was, um, I was working on uh, the index, the first series of index cards when we were uh, in the sort of the Oculus uh, VR circuit for conventions for a little while. So I was a, I was one of Oculus's kind of like, um, like beta testing sculptors mm -hmm. for the development of um, the 3D sculpting in Oculus. And um, so I was kind of cruising around doing that. And in, you know, conventions are horrible. So in the, in the interim of what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm just drawing all these funny index cards with no purpose. I don't know what the hell I was, I just had a Sharpie and some index cards. But then in time I started thinking, man, this resembles a lot what I do when I'm GMing. Like it'd be cool if you actually kind of let go of a lot of the gridded map and kind of, well, there's mushrooms in the corner of the cave and like, yeah, I got some mushrooms on an index card. and. That is like such a silly, like very democratized little piece of free thinking that anyone can have. But if you treat it with enough trust, I guess that's when that real turning point happened. It, that's when I, my, my egg timer finally went off. Yeah. And I did, I did hear a bell go off and I was kind of like, oh my goodness. Like there was another big moment of, um, just to finish it up of, uh, Adam Coble was doing a video and he he found himself flat footed while hosting a game and he literally like put like a triangle on an index card and slapped it on the table and said, that's where the mountain is. And then he looked around and he didn't have what he needed. And he drew like this horrible looking back thing, which is like a dragon. And he sticks that on the table and he goes, and this is about where the dragon is. And that really like reinforced me hugely. Mother of invention. Like, yeah, right? like town on it or something. And I don't think in his mind, he was really- It was survival. You know, golden, golden goosing at that moment. Yeah. I think he was just trying to get through the next few seconds, which so many GMs do every single game. Yeah. But to me, I was just like, oh my gosh, it's like, so I'm not the only one. And also this index card 
this little piece of paper needs to be lifted up and celebrated. Like, yeah. This is where it's at. And you throw them away at the end of the game. You can tear them up and like make little folded fire out of them and like make little people out of them. And you have this feeling like you, you're you free with an index card, like it's kind of going in the trash anyway. And people seem, seem to relax when you put an index card in front of them. Like all these little things are all very silly. But when taken in combination, um, and then you sort of name yourself after them, then that really puts them out into this like little, you know, spotlight of like glowing light you know, where it's like, oh, and there's like index card. And that was kind of the the birth of of like, is would it just be plain silly to name a, a, an RPG after the index card rather than after <laughs> some kind of cool fantasy castle or something? I'm like, yes, I think it would be cool. <laughs> yeah, the, well, and what, what just blew my mind was the point where it's for me from design there's there's a there's a threshold a tipping point where where practicality and 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 you know just straight out you know pop and chrome and bells and whistles on where there's this need versus wants right and mm. i think that you're for, at least for me what what banged my brain instantly into the whole whoa was the the just the straightforwardness of the sharpie art like i'm an old rock and roller so right away i'm like sharpie right or you know it's like <laughs> it comes out but totally. the, the fact that um it, it's just simple here and i mean from the my uh, my university brain the concept is semiotics right where it's just like certain symbols represent concepts and you nailed it because you're like here's a patch of mushrooms right it can be this or it can be i can ex and in my narrative explanation as my players are staring at that that's all the brain needs to do is to start painting this salvador yeah. dolly picture but that i'm not even aware of the painting but you do need one little Indeed. thing to hook their attention and which yeah. you know i call the campfire at the table so you're right, you can paint huge amounts of data in your mind around one small concept, but you do need something that people can lock in on together. Mm -hmm. And it can be a word, it could be a doodle, it could be full color, full 3D terrain, it can be all kinds of things. But if you don't have anything, I think it's extremely challenging to invite people to try to imagine. Yeah, like that whole magic circle of yeah. just blank slate that's a lot of trust it, that's very difficult and a lot of people go, oh yeah and kind of and, and they just want to be yeah. a, a participant on the periphery rather than an engaged participant um absolutely true i yeah. think i also uh i also completely uh dialed in because of course i'm gonna start watching third-party explanations of this and their interpretations of 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 you what you created and uh I love the, and again, I'm going to throw out a nerd word here, gestalt, right? Which is the, the whole concept of, of proximity and continuity. And the moment that you, I mean, these cards separated a great distance mean nothing, but you bring them, like you said, and here's the opening to the cave. And I mean, there's a, you know, there's a portcullis kind of thing. And here's something, a slime in the corner. And you just start dropping these cards on the table within a, a, a proximity and boom, there's the room. I don't yeah. need walls. I don't need, you know, grid pattern. 
um, that a lot of the times the theater of the mind is the most amazing IMAX as long as you've got a proper you know director in in the seat of the uh, of the of the GM or the DM right so talk to me about that concept when you started figuring out was like well this can be a room or this can be a region or it can be you know that uh, whole that whole uh, micro to macro kind of thing right well when i was working in video games um my my job in video games was somewhat dubious so i was something between a a level designer and an artist and a conceptual creator and uh I have, it's really honestly difficult to categorize at certain times in my career what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but I can tell you that within one day, I would think at the macro level on maybe, you know, like some levels in video games, for example, are frustrating to run around it. Some are pure butter, like, you know, ones in say Quake or something or Halo where they're, they're really buttery to run around it. There must be rationale of why that's true and a lot of it is of course you know like vitruvian architectural kind of principles and heady concepts like that but a lot of it is also like if i look to the left and i see a door i tend to think there should be one on the right and like just playing on instinct so that would be sort of on the large scale and then on the tiny scale you'd have something like a settings menu in a game hmm. and really these two things are the same thing they just need to be comfortable enough for the person to learn in a split second and make a decision that they want to make and get the hell out of it. Yeah. That, that's what you want to do both in a shooter level or in a strategy level or whatever, and in a menu. And so the menu is kind of like being in a tiny little booth and they're like these little buttons that you're going to push to get different types of food pellets or something, right? But then, you know, a level is like, I don't know, like a basin where there's a battle happening. And um, mm. when you do enough for these drawings on dry erase boards while people are watching you in these kind of awkward corporate interactions, you do that enough day by day, you start seeing it all kind of the same. It all just feels like don't overcrowd spaces with shapes. Don't present yeah. too many options. Don't worry about the bounding box because no one cares. What mm. they care about is the candy in the middle. Yeah. You know, and like... Don't waste your time on details that are on the backs of things <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and all these kind of funny principles that really just come from speed and convenience and fatigue, to be totally honest. I mean, but over time, in, in, they start to feel very, very similar. And that's where I started kind of uh, using the word room. So in my mind, a room was literally a room in a dungeon, which we're all used to, you know, there's a. There's a treasure chest on the far side and there's something weird in the ceiling. Okay, great. There you go. That's, that's a tiny little concept. But then in my mind, also a room could be like, you know, the battle of Minas Tirith. So we're trying to cross this huge, crazy battlefield, but are we really going to go out and kill like 10,000 orcs? No, really. It's just a big room where we're going to run across to the treasure chest and the ceiling looks weird. It just happens to be a war. Yeah. But they're the same. And I think that idea of a room really started having results in my 5e group that I was running in like 2015 or so, 2014. Yeah. And you're we playing 5e, brand new. And it was so, it was so fun because like the Monster Manual had just come out. It's the only book we ever really cared about in 5th edition. <laughs> <laughs> 
and we just wanted to we wanted to rack it up. We wanted like the the Girl Scout badges for killing the monsters out of the new edition of D and D, right? So yeah. let's knock them down. And so ping, ping. yeah, just move room to room. And what's a room? Well, I don't want to go through a dungeon forever. And so we started kind of mixing that up. It was sort of in a monster of the week kind of spirit. And that's when, again, it started really like gelling, you know, like all these different ideas were definitely gaining a ton of momentum at that time. Yeah, the, um, the to me, right away, as I was, and I going through even your, your uh, um, as I said before, prior to recording, I went to drive through RPG and it was just like, and pay for and put it in the cart and put it in the cart. I have the master edition, I've got vigilante, I've, I mean, I put a whole bunch in my cart and I started going through it. And even in the book's layout, the, the, the way that you speak, there's a lot of less is more philosophy. Mm. Right? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. With the art, with the, I mean, let's talk about the, the mechanics of it. I mean, you, you stripped it, like started with like the abilities. When I went and watched the abilities thing, I'm like, why am I putting 17 and 16 and eight? No, I don't care about that. It's, it's irrelevant. Let's, and you talk about this whole, that whole finally let's ditch this and only go with six. Here you go. Yeah. Again, these are, I mean, I appreciate it. I hope that's what, what the work accomplishes. Cut but the uh, cheese. Yeah. Again, again, a lot of it comes from utility and fatigue. You know, I don't think, anyone at my 5e table was sitting around thinking let's come up with a brilliant alternative to these attributes i think it was instead like you know a lot of people accidentally write their actual stat really big because they're like proud of it and then their bonus is super tiny yeah and every single turn it costs them a tiny amount of cognitive fuel oh yeah to, to jump from one number to the other now i know that's a tiny amount of cognitive fuel but over the course of years of playing, you start to get a little cranky about it. <laughs> and what you do is you just write the plus three, and in time you wind up drawing like a little orc with wooden <laughs> shoes, and you accidentally draw it on top of your strength, and you forget what your actual strength stat is, but you damn well have the bonus written there really big. Yeah. And I think over time, we just started saying, you know, I fuck my stat, I just don't care. Yeah. I just want to know what I'm going to roll like right now. Now, is that like a, you know, a brilliant design idea? I, I don't know. But if you're working on fatigue and if you're working on utility and like sort of a sanding off the burrs, mm -hmm. so to speak, that was one of the easiest decisions to make because it's just like, I understand that it, it grants more resolution yeah. to a highly detailed player who's tracking experience and you're journeying toward the next bonus click. Yeah. It's not that that's hard to understand. I just feel like that amount of detail, again, is sort of on the back of things in what you're doing. I've, is it is it cool to have there? It might be cool to have there, yeah, especially if you like a lot of detail. But at our table, it was just causing fatigue. And so we're like, you know what, you guys, I think from this day forward, we don't have stats anymore. All we have is our bonuses. And if you want to upgrade your bonus, when you level up, just ask me. And half the time I'll say no, and the other half I'll say, I'll say go for it. And then, I mean, that's kind of what we do anyway, right? Yeah. Just nodding and, you know, like finishing a beer. Well, and it was interesting because I looked at your, your target number is everybody starts off with six. You put them wherever you want and, and as many as you want. And, and of course, right away, I'm like, 
rewinding, okay, all the characters I've had, uh, what has been the average range of their bonuses? And I'm like, oh man, five to eight? Six to eight, yeah. I mean, you hit that, as far as the bell curve goes, you hit the sweet spot, bang on. Um, and then, of course, you add on the rate. You know, it's like I think there's race. There's a race bonus. Well, yeah. I mean, once you get into the weeds, um, yeah. it's just like any other RPG. There are a million ways to bend every rule. But you've you know? cleaned it up so much, though. There's the to me, it um, your the mantra is is uh, as far as and I'm not going to repeat the, the your your uh, I think the 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 what is it the odor the the Oh, the, the, the code. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but it's just this idea of let's get to telling stories and rolling dice and the engine building. Let's leave that to the mechanics. Let's just go. Right. Um, but I do appreciate that whole Pathfinder, you know, nerd out and spend four hours rolling up your character and dialing it in and Absolutely. being a geek about it. But there's sometimes where it's just like, you know, I, I have this term. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget to tell you because I want to teach you my term called PAF. It's the pissing around factor. <laughs> and sometimes there's just too much pissing around where you're like, no, 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 no. Plus two, go. Roll the dice. Let's go. Right? Yeah. Plus two, hit a 14. Show me yeah. what you got. Yeah. Um, I, and yeah, okay. And let's continue the PAF idea um, of uh, your, your, your number, your threat number. I thought it was yeah. genius. Tell me, tell us about that. Yeah, so in ICRPG, uh, all the different target numbers that you may be rolling on in a given scene are the same. So uh, in a lot of, in a great deal of, of RPGs out there, in any given scene, you've got some things that are easy and some things are hard and some monsters, maybe you're fighting a group of monsters that have a leader. And so that leader has different target numbers that you're gonna be rolling to hit and stuff. And all that detail is cool, but in ICRPG, at any given scene, there is a single number that all of your rolls will attempt to hit, whether you're trying to roll constitution to hold your breath underwater, or you're trying to roll dexterity to shoot a spear gun at the merman underwater. You're, they're both going to be rolled on the same number. It's just known as the target. It's displayed really big out in the open for all the players, so it's never a question. And again, doesn't consume cognitive fuel. And so with with that fuel savings of, what's this guy's AC again? What's the DC on it? As in before, those are yeah. cool details. Yeah. And and for some people, you know, consolidating those feels a little flat. And I, I love that critique. But for many others, and mainly us, I was just writing from what we were doing. I wasn't really trying to make a manifesto here. Mm -hmm. um, we found that the scenes would often play out in much the same ways with similar levels of difficulty without the unnecessary uh, pissing around, I guess. PAF, yeah. And we also found that the, the more we knew what we were needing to get, at every, any given moment, that the higher the anticipation for getting it would grow. So if you find out a split second before you roll a dice that you're trying to beat a 15, you only get a split second to be excited about that. But if you know for your entire turn that when your turn comes, you're going to be rolling plus three on a D20 to try to beat a 15, you're, you're dying. Yeah. You know it, you're soaking in it, 
You're waiting for it. You're probably thinking, well, what are my chances of not making a 15? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. they're they're pretty good. It's late in my favor, but yeah, and that's that's yeah. good. Tension. That is a good thing for um, play. You, you touched <laughs> on it, but you didn't uh, talk about it. I mean, that target number is great. And a lot of the time it's like, well, I'm hiding behind this. How much cover do I get? You came again. It's like, let's make it easy, right? It's either plus three or minus three. It's either a hard roll or an easy roll. Um, I mean, straightforward. That that must have been just a, an easy moment to go. <laughs> let's just, if this, is, this is what it is. Yeah, I, I can't. I think it was my friend Evan, uh, Evan McMahon, who, who built a, uh, a robotic flamingo, but that is a different story. <laughs> But I, he, he had a funny way of putting things in it. I think he, he used to refer to that stuff as uh, non-relevant increments plus one. So if I've got a piece of cover on this side of the battlefield that you can hide behind, and I've got a slightly larger piece of cover on this one, and this one offers plus one cover, and this one offer plus two, I, it's just not that relevant. It's yeah. not like, ooh, ooh, uh, uh, I have one more digit than you do you know you no. don't feel it and so we after some testing kind of landed on three as a very magical spot where that is a relevant increment so when you jump from 12 to 15 for example which is the most common jump in icrpg mm -hmm. you jump from 12 to 15 a lot when things are difficult or for whatever millions of yeah. circumstances can come up but that happens a lot um and that's painful especially if you have your whole turn coming up to think about that different. <laughs> you know that this roll is going to be hard. You've been rolling on 12 all day. You're about to roll on 15. Is it the end of the world? Not really, but you can feel it. Oh yeah. You can feel that difference and it's kind of scary as 15's coming up at you. So yeah, that's where the easy hard system came from. Again, just fatigue. You know, not wanting to tell penalties and bonuses to oh. players over and over and over. You just say the word easy. And that's code at our table for take three off the target. Yeah, shave. So yeah. you find yourself saying, oh, well, you know, could you go get me some coffee? And your friend says, well, that'll be easy. I have some in the pot. It, it's just how we talk. And so if you mine that natural language, you just find yourself saying it instead of going, hold on, guys. I don't know what the penalty is for having rubber shoes on in this <laughs> ice room. Yeah. Well, oh no, it's just going to be hard to walk across this room in your rubber shoes. Oh, okay. Well, we know what that math means from natural language. It, yeah. That's how it just gets to snowballing, you know, like it really starts to become almost like a, a habit, like an addiction. The, um, you, you made me shout out in the, my own kitchen while I'm getting my coffee. Cause I had you going on, on YouTube, right. And then listening and, uh, pouring my coffee and and then you were talking about some an individual that jumped through a doorway into a black abyss and yeah and you said yeah you know what let's just roll you're either alive or you're dead and i went finally finally it's just like let's just shave 20 minutes of of like going through charts and this it's like here you go odd or even roll it <laughs> yeah well we use we use a d6 as a yes no dice yeah so one, two, three is always no, and four, five, six is always yes. And you can ask any, even the most brutal questions to this dice. If it's kind of, you know, you get nods around the table, you can't be ridiculous about it. Right? Oh, my God, you know? Yeah, 
Um, but if you say, you know, is this fall survivable? And I say, I think we should flip for it. And then you just look around the table. If everyone's nodding, then it's a reasonable idea. And then you realize the guy that's plummeting <laughs> off the side of the thing, he has to roll the D6 and answer, is this survivable? So you do not want one, two, three to come up. Like that's where, again, that knowing what you need to roll comes up. And the longer you can delay that roll, the worse and worse it gets. And then finally somebody says, damn it, just, just flip the damn coin, dude. And you know, they roll it. Like, so we answer a lot of questions. Yeah. Anytime I kind of don't know the answer, we'll consult the yes, no dice. Just talking about what had happened with this idea to me is it just reinforces this, this, the, the concept of what you've stumbled upon generates excitement. I mean, it comes, I want just want to roll dice and have things crazy happen and, you know, and let it, let it fall where it falls. Cause I think I'm going to adopt with my group, um, that whole, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and you, and you can correct me, but, um, if nobody dies, there's no story or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, ours is if there's no death, no doubt it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, everybody gets a participation ribbon. No, we're here to like create some crazy, you know, uh, experiential moments. And um, I think that just that whole cutting to the chase part, I mean, that's that conceptualization. Let's get rid of the, the Excel spreadsheet and just what are we dealing with here? Yeah. Splat on the ground or you land it. Yeah. And a lot of hobbyists, are are in this hobby because of the cool synergy of math systems and probability systems and progression systems and how they play together to mitigate risk yeah. over time and so we don't want to lose any of that stuff and we also don't want to lose some of the quote-unquote classic experiences of dnd right like we're just you know you have a gelatinous cube coming down a perfectly square corridor that it fits into there's nowhere to go behind you there's a skeleton suspended in the gelatinous cube and it's lit from behind by a weird Salt. green light and you're running out of time because it's coming to the end of the thing let's let's yeah. play this out so you still need you still need some of the things that many other systems do so when i'm usually sort of trying to pitch a little bit the idea of icrpg it's always important to say yeah on the one hand it is like cut to the chase, mm -hmm. roll dice and like embrace the moment, but you can never leave some of these key things behind. You you do need the things that have made DD satisfying for so long yeah. for so many people of different intellectual involvement levels. And so that smoothness is good, but I know that a lot of people, when they hear the elevator pitch for it, they go, ah, oh, well, you're gonna lose all the, all the stuff, but then that's kind of where the next 340 pages of the book come into play rather than the first 40. Yeah. You know, and which is, like I said, there's a lot of rule bending. There's a lot of stacking and synergy going on between different objects. And the um, kind of things can get a little, you know, flippity jibbity, a little crazy. Yeah. Like you get into like Yu-Gi-Oh level kind of wacko combos and stuff, which the, the deep player wants to do. So we need to accommodate both with our, with our design well, and not that I've have experience playing it, but I'm reading enough of it and and reading it and and having it kind of run in my head, kind of thing. Um, 
when I was reading through your leveling concept that doesn't exist, it blew my mind and I'm like, okay, what is this again? I go back, you know, that whole, yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> go back to the top again, reread it. Well, what the hell? Right, go back to the top, reread it. Huh. And then it just dawned on me that, that it's not, it's not thresholding, it's growth that creates your, you know, your development. And it's, talk to me, talk to us about loot. Right. So in the, in the, uh, well, actually brilliant. modern times, as well as ancient times, a lot of game designs, um, were really driven strongly by what you had, not who you were. Yeah. And so you may remain relatively the same person, but you're really chasing equipment. Um, and countless games follow this philosophy, even though your stats might be going up over time. I mean, you can look at examples from like first edition D&D all the way to like World of Warcraft. Your stats will develop over time, but really, really it's what you got. Yeah, you want the destroyer of worlds, you want, you know, Deathwing's armor set. You want the set bonus on the armor. You want rings of protection. Yeah. There's a matchy hell. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does it, is it bad that, you know, maybe you got two more strength than you had at the beginning? Hell no. Rock on. But the idea of using loot as the key form of player growth, I think has like two real values to it. One, it's just so easy to comprehend. It's just so damn easy to understand. Here's a little list of maybe four things you can choose as you're leveling up. Which one do you want? Boop. Yeah. And they could bump stats, they could bump hit points, or they could be like a cool sword or whatever, a ring. And your whatever. 10 and 10 rule. I love the 10 and 10 rule because it's sort of like, yeah. yeah. Yikes. And, yeah. And you can only hold so much. So, you know, it's not just like infinite loot. And the other thing that it does that people will only notice later when they play is offer what something like uh, modern D&D honestly can't offer, which is your progression is not a line, it is a wavy line. Yeah. Because monsters and environments and situations can actually rob you of some of your most precious equipment. And so you actually do lose a slight amount of progression in certain moments, probably in the process of risking great danger to get even better equipment. That is, I mean, that's a very similar to the way Diablo is designed. You are hoarding great equipment and you'll have moments where you can't get back to your loot pile. And that's when you throw your controller. Because now you have to go back. You're on that wiki line. You got to go back yeah. and you got to start that whole damn thing again. Cause they've all respawned. Cause you want to get those stupid boots. <laughs> <laughs> so ICRPG really wanted to bring that in and embrace that. And so again, from, from fatigue and from utility, we stopped using experience ages ago. <laughs> Not because we didn't like it or because there's something wrong with the design. It's brilliant. We just tired. That so we're like, we're like, dude, I've been level six forever, bro. What's up? Yeah. And then somebody else at the table goes, yeah, I told you were awesome this session. I think you should totally ding level seven, man. You, you are on another level literally. So you should be level seven right now. We'd all be like, Oh, 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 mumbling about it. And I say, hell yeah, you just hit level seven, especially once you guys get to the tower or whatever, 
you realize you feel like you're more and like, let's get you a sort of a milestone object of some kind. Milestone? Like, oh shit, I just want to get my hit score up. Yeah. Okay, then bump your hit score by one. There you go. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do this. A lot of people. I just don't think it's necessarily in a ton of books in a presentation that has really stuck. But I know tons mm -hmm. of people do this. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to add up and divide experience. Yeah. I want to bend towards, because uh, that just kind of piggybacking on that idea of, uh, you know, manipulating or, or reinterpretation. Uh, defense. This, I can't wait to like, like introduce this to my students with this whole lot. Explain defense. I've never, uh, I'm solid D&D &D player and I've never had to like, okay, I, we rollsies? Okay, I love rollsies. I'll, I'll roll up some D and see yeah. if I can, you know, tuck up that shoulder and have the impact. Tell me about that. And you had mentioned too, the degradation of, of your, your, your shield. Like, I mean, something can get dinged up so many times until it turns into uh, aluminum foil, right? Right. <laughs> well, one of the bigger, I wouldn't call it a change, but kind of, um, it was worded better by reader request in master edition was, you know, we're working with all these bonuses, right? And so defense is the, the amount of armor you have each little piece, giving you a little bit here and there. And maybe you have an intrinsic defense bonus as well, just because you're kind of invasive, whatever. But a lot of people are sitting on like plus five for their defense. Okay. So just like D and D for years, we just added it onto 10 as a free base to give you an armor class, right? People have been doing this since yeah. the dawn of RPGs yeah. and that's all we were doing, but I don't know when it happened, but at some point I did the same thing to that, that I had already done to the other stats, which is I said to myself, well, hell it's not really 15. What it is is plus five. And it just, at some point I said like, okay, instead of this thing, you know, rolling to hit you, this is like a breath weapon. So it's everywhere. So beat the target with your defense roll. And that is not just your passive armor state. That is you actively defending yourself against something that in the narrative sense, yeah, to roll a hit for. And so it actually started really taking root that it was crazy fun for players to roll defense. I mean, so much so you kind of want half your monsters to not roll attack rolls. <laughs> so it's like orcs throw spears and they're really good at it, bro. Yeah. They never miss. And the player's like, what? Yeah. Sorry. They always hit. Like the sniper story. Yeah. But you can roll defense and beat the target and at least block the spear as it's coming in. But the orcs never her miss. And that's, that is a, not as, again, not a drastically original idea. You know, there are plenty of games that roll under your own stack, like Black Hack did it. Mm -hmm. But we brought that in for defense so it would match all the other stats in its spirit. And also give that guy with the shield that's got like a bunch of dents in his shield, gives him that, that badass feeling. And it's another time to have your rust monster or your corroder as we call them is attacking you and you go for that that defense move and get your crit fail on it it's going your shield is going to be dissolved by your corroder monster but not because it made some kind of amazing attack it's because you screwed up the defense <laughs> 
And there's something really satisfying about that. So it kind of slayer agency. I just love it, right? Um, DM agency. Uh, from when I read this, I was like, yeah, I like this variation. You're using that spell too much. Here we go. We're going to put a timer on it. Tell me about yeah, timers. I love the timer idea. I'm using that in my game because the tension, you put an egg timer and people are, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I don't know. TikTok, right? Let's go. Well, what's, yeah. what happens at the end of the timer? We'll find out. The thing. Yeah. The, the next thing happens. Yeah. That was probably my biggest early, early impact video on YouTube was the time. And it had nothing to do with index card RPG either. It was uh, just an idea for people to to use. So you're, you're rolling along, you're playing D and D, everybody's having fun, whatever. You just roll D4 and put it next to your book as the GM. You don't even have to say anything. I'll tell you, people can't stand it. What, what, what do you got there? What the hell? It's, it's like sends a chill down their spine. I swear. And then in time they see it come up and they're like, Oh no, no. But just spider monkeys try to convert. What he's got, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, they, they really learn to dread it almost more than any other role because it means like it's coming and it doesn't always mean doom. It doesn't always mean the ceiling is falling or something, but it's usually means that whatever they need to get done, yeah. they might want to wrap it up because some other variable is about to enter the field and it could be a friendly thing. Yeah. Well, I like, but even yeah. when friends appear as DD players know, well, it can be disruptive to what you're doing. <laughs> Not now, not now, right? I love that idea of- Yeah, no NPC yeah. role play now. <laughs> I love that idea of, I, I refer to that sometimes as the knock at the door, right? It's like, exactly. Uh, we were about to do this, but uh, what do we do? What do we do, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, let's, and speaking of that D4, I can see that D4 causing a lot of terror um, in regards to, uh, your interpretation of, of don't die on me, man. <laughs> tell me yeah. about, tell us about it. I, cause I'm, again, I am using that because I think it's, <laughs> I think it just, again, just ratchets up that tension and, yeah. and forces their, their decision-making space to be a little more on the edge because now, you know, there, there's, there's crucial. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely simple. It's rolling that 20 or get help in D four rounds when you're down or you're dead. Yeah. Period. And like tear up the page. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. It is one sentence. And if you roll a one on your dying timer, you have got major problems. You are, you are looking and maybe losing a character in the next like two minutes because one round will pass of everybody going, what? And well, then and the table and that 20 on your turn as it, your character is gone, my friend. So it really cuts it down to the essentials. Let's cut in, let's insert like a good uh, film, uh, film uh, editor. Um, the, cause when that tension happens is the way you put your table order, there's no initiative. It's old school counterclockwise. And you've in your book, you've said that some groups will strategically put characters in certain places because of. We want the you know the 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 healer at the end of the order or the at the end. Yeah, we put the healer at the end. Don't and, be a fool. And the so, healer should always sit to the right of the DM. Yeah. So and, when you talk about that death save on the one, the table just looks and goes, "Holy man, look at what we're doing and look at what we have." 
and yeah. the blood you i mean i could i swear you could probably see the blood drop <laughs> yeah and i've we never thought of that as a game mechanic we have played that way since i ever started playing any i never played initiative ever really oh that's so cool all we do for initiative is who goes first and then from there you just go around the table like any other game because we found that initiative cost so much cognitive fuel <laughs> it was a constant question of whose turn it is the gm always looked flustered people were always getting skipped not yeah. any fault of their own no no it's just because it was a highly variable and highly detailed system which for some tables they rock on they got their posted notes or whatever and they yeah. can handle it and great but for us we always got confused so the moment really, the moment really, someone would throw under reaction you we really tried to cook it down yeah so we just played it around the table yeah the, i was i uh, sorry i cut in over top of you but uh for me dming the moment someone throws in a reaction to something all of a sudden i'm like okay write down where the hell we are because i will lose track right yeah. um and that just contributes to the my i uh, just my 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 adoration of the simplicity of i mean the paf you're trimming you're trimming the fat off of this thing right <laughs> um, yeah well and by the the analogy of the piss around factor um i i really like to have it very syncopated so it's like when you're at the table it's highly intense for a probably a shorter amount of time and that intensity also makes you want to take a bathroom break and literally get away from the table and waste some time that way check your phone get a pretzel <laughs> yeah yeah then sit back down and then again you kind of like zapped into it and working in shorter more intense increments with more deliberate breaks away from the table rather than I, I i'm sad to say what i see very often which is a blending of the two mm -hmm. where people are kind of at the table but dear lord are they tired yeah and they're like they've been there for hours and they don't know when they get to pee and they're looking at their phone and they clearly have like lives and families that they need to you know acknowledge <laughs> that stuff's important and so i think that syncopated vibe like a board game can really help the the real life aspects of the players for them to stay energized because you're not slogging through these extremely large and con sometimes convoluted experiences expecting everyone to be like the whole time engaged. listening yeah. which is hard for anybody even the most engaged person now yeah. that's tough so I, I think like I'm a small teacher. I get it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's glazed over, and they're just true. I don't want to be glazed, but oh, there's just what, uh, this is this is 50 minutes of lecture. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, or yeah, you have a wizard turn. It's longer than a previous encounter. Yeah. Um, this is a perfect transition into what I appreciated from the perspective of being uh, a, a DM, and from the perspective of an instructional designer, is your your game master like the dm section or your gm section uh i loved the way you laid out like you you a literal mapping of card to card what each card um as far as plot points um referred to in and in regards to the arc or the you know the as you said the up and down of what this session is going to be and i love your idea of 
plan one session at a time. Even if you're out of a campaign book, right? One session at a time, you don't know where it's gonna go. I mean, you might have an idea, but but yeah. Um, tell me about the um, uh, the way that, that dropping the cards where you just saw connectivity and it dawned on you because from a teacher, that you've just created a unit plan and, and how to get through the big arc of a concept, right? And I, I thought it was just, um, without being told what you did, I thought it was like, awesome. You stumbled into one of the, uh, uh, you know, a solid model um, of instruction. Mm, yeah. Oh, I do a lot of stumbling. <laughs> well, I'm getting pretty good at it. Been there. But, uh, I, I mean, I think, that method really has it come from many sources. One of them is called the circle method, but it's also known as like the Taika Waititi method. He kind of, mm -hmm. he has publicized it greatly, um, which is basically having a thing like, you know, a glowing skull. The my God. And in my mind, I'm like, glowing skulls are so cool. Oh my God. So I just write down on a piece of paper. What the, f what is this glowing skull? I have no idea. Don't worry about it, bro. Just chill out. Okay. Then the next thing I'm like, you know, I like fantasy where there's like a wagon chase and like there's a guy like falling off the wagon and a guy like, you know, hits a guy and he, he goes flying off a cliff off the side of the wagon and stuff like that. And then the wagon hits a log and jumps. And everybody goes, whoa, I love that. Okay, well, let's put wagon chase on this piece <laughs> of paper here. So now I've got my table and I'm like, let's see, glowing skull, wagon chase. Uh, I guess they're, I guess they're riding this wagon to the glowing skull because it's definitely the goal. Yeah. Um, and then you just begin to place concepts in there and the concept of riding the wagon to the skull is not on those pieces of paper. That was you just connecting them. Mm -hmm. And that's why seemingly random ideas can be perfectly useful to develop complex concepts if you just let yourself yeah. follow your own impulses. So believe in what you think might be cool. You know, like, well, hell yeah, I love glowing skulls. There is one, it's inside of a big oversized Gothic temple thing. And there's like a frozen skeleton guarding it because everybody wants the glowing skull, right? I mean, it's like a prize of the realm. So my players hear that some bad guys are gonna get it. They can't get there in time because the boat is, you know, being repaired. And so they get on this janky wagon and they're heading to this thing and they're attacked by minions of the bad guys on the way. And then they got of this whole wagon chase thing. They get there, they go in, they got to fight the big skeleton. Bang, they've got access to the glowing skull. But of course, they're all sucked into its eye sockets and they go into an alternate dimension. And that's next session. <laughs> and so it's like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what just happened? But that's that's how you do it. That's how you try to connect what seem like silly ideas. Yeah, that's the relation that kids do a lot. Kids do this every day of just random idea one, random idea two, ridiculous connectivity matter. I'm done, and I want to say yeah. their ability to to have relationships of of unconcepted ideas. Like um, I mean, I have two kids, and they both are such different dynamic thinkers that every once in a while I'll go, hey, what do you think of this? And they'll, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'll look at it and go, well, holy crap, I never thought of that. Thank you. Insane. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, so, and, and it's, 
probably, I mean, you could probably back this up that the more you do it, the more that this muscle starts to allow itself the ability to see those connected yeah. relationships or the potential to those connected yeah. relationships. A lot of people think that the hard part of creativity is like the doing or the recording, like the getting it down on something. Yeah. But I really think that the hard part is just trusting that you think something is cool, that it is cool. That is very hard for adults in the modern world. Like, is a glowing skull really that cool? Oh, well, there was that other thing where that guy already did it. He did it so good, like, my glowing skull's probably gonna suck. Or like, God, everything I make has skulls on it. Yeah. Why do I always go into the glowing skull? I do that every time. Cultists, like, every time. <laughs> oh yeah, like, I'm kind of getting pigeonholed. Everybody's like expecting a skull in all my adventures. Or like, that one guy told me that skulls are passe and they're from the eighties or whatever the hell. All this is just garbage and it's useless to the creative mind. If you're into skulls and wagon chases, just lay it down, <laughs> just commit. And if you, if you do these seemingly arbitrary things you're a fan of with Verve, they, they come through awesome. You just got to give yourself to them and like kind of go for it. I will. Well, I, and I totally agree because it comes down to that idea of you're all sitting together, you're all wanting to collaborate, you're all wanting to have an exciting story. And uh, I like the idea that you've said it in a few videos, let the dice decide. And the fact that you roll out in the open, let the dice decide. Yeah. 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 And that wagon chase may be the end of the adventure. <laughs> you know, there's a cliff, dude. Uh -huh. Like cliffs are bad, yeah. you know, or maybe they get caught by these guys. And then these, these guys don't want, they never wanted the skull in the first place. It was all a ruse because they want the heroes because of this guy's sister. I don't know. <laughs> it's cool. We'll figure I, it out. <laughs> I'm just looking at the clock and I'm thinking I could keep talking. Cause uh, I mean, I just love the, uh, um, this genre and, uh, but I got to wrap it up because it's getting late on your side of the East Coast. Um, before we uh, we start to you know um, wrap things up, um, if anyone hasn't clued in yet, we're talking about uh, the fantastic um, uh, um, ICRPG. I was going to say RPG, but then ICRPG, and there'd be just too many letters. But um, index card role play game. Uh, originally, I found it on Drive Through RPG, but you have your own shop now, and uh, this is the perfect time for me to pass this to you. And I mean, talk about—I I've—I so want to download Hard Suit because it sounds so cool. Oh yeah. And uh, so yeah, quickly hit on you know Hard Suit Viking Death Squad. Oh man. Um, and uh, and Runehammer is—I've been publishing things as Runehammer for seven years now. And um, so you can get a lot of what I make on Drive Through RPG. Just search Rune Hammer. Yeah, it'll bring up everything I make. You can also go to Rune Hammer Online, where I kind of, Runehammer Online, where I I put up kind of my my favorites for direct purchase from me. So it's maybe harder for people to find like my unique website, but it it's my like little store. So it's kind of a little special kind of side area. Um, and then I'm also published by Modifius, who publishes uh, Conan and Fallout, yeah. Dune, and others. 
and they've given me worldwide distribution. So you can get my my highest quality book, which is made by them. You can get it retail. You can get it on Amazon. Um, but also on drive through, you can still get yourself a, a hard copy book, but I've put a very, very affordable paperback book on drive through. So if you don't like PDFs, but $50 hardbacks aren't your thing, you can get a, a quite cheap paperback version of master edition with basically it makes me no money. It's just there. So people can have either handout copies or get maybe three copies for their table or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of dive into it. Also, while I'm plugging sites, we just put up icrpgcommunitycontent.com. Ooh. And that is where you get all of the top player-made adventures. And you also get a huge heap of free stuff for playing on Roll20 or whatever VTT you might use. You get, there's like a zillion tokens. There's 400 index cards that are all now free. Um, there's a ton of like print and play paper miniatures that are all free. There are templates to build your own stuff that kind of make it look like ICRPG. It, the whole thing's free. Nice. Um, and then everybody else's creations are all consolidated there so you can see what everybody's up to. But it really, and yeah, I have other RPGs out there too, like Viking Death Squad, which is kind of a Black Sabbath kind of crazy land. Um, and all I, kinds of- I know people that will love that. I gotta, I gotta yeah, get it too. Hard Suit is kind of the, the campaign I'm just wrapping up now, but it's a book you can also get. It's like these sort of crab-like, this technology is kind of like what crabs are made of, but it's these sort of drivable armor suits. When I saw the, when I saw your shape, I thought Fifth Element. The, yeah, yeah, like those crazy guys in the beginning of Fifth yeah, Element, yeah. a bit of that vibe, yeah. Um, so it's a little crazy here, but really it's just a fantasy world at its heart with just this one oddity to kind of spin things. Um, and there's a lot. There's we have a great cyberpunk game called Alter State. We have a, a kind of a Red Dawn style high school kids versus alien uh, setting called Bearcats. There's all kinds of little treats to discover out there. And even in um, the master edition of uh, ICRPG, there's four, I think four different worlds or five different worlds. Right, yeah, so yeah, it is a big book. I mean, it's, it's, it's a brilliant book consolidated into one book is why it's called master edition. Um, yeah, it has fantasy, sci-fi, superheroes, um, Ice Age. I want to do the Ice Age. Um, and, and one other that I probably always forget. <laughs> is the cowboy, uh, the cowboy space? Oh, yeah, and Ghost Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ghost Mountain is literally a mountain in Arizona that is ripped off the earth by Satan himself. Um, because he's listening. The sent into Avernus kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's pulled into purgatory pretty much. And all the people who are trapped on that mountain can kind of never die until the sun goes down. <laughs> and the devil and God are kind of vying to see what happens to this little sort of, I don't know, it's kind of Charlie Daniels parable kind of world. Charlie Daniels going on in my head right now. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that one is very widely played, um, very weird kind of vibe in that one, very Christian, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> is it uh, is it just me or are there um, kind of third party uh, add-ons? Because I saw that there was a magic book that you could get with the ICRPG. Now, is that you or is that other designers yeah. who um, brought in their ideas? In the early days, um, some of the readers wanted a more in-depth magic system that was really what a lot of people who play Wizards are more used to. 
vast numbers of spells and ingredients and items that intercombine to create more powerful magical research and growth. And so originally I came out with the magic book. It was played quite a bit, but then in Master Edition, it includes the overhauled and improved version of that book, the whole thing inside Master Edition. Yeah. Um, so having thousands of people table play it for about three years really did a huge favor to the magic sort of supplement that's included in, in Master Edition. I wanna, I wanna pump up ma uh, the Master Edition um, just from my own knowledge of the PDF because not only do you get the Master Edition, you get uh, uh, two character sheets, uh, portrait landscape, you get uh, a, a little uh, cutout minis, like little two, 2D yeah. kind of standees. Um, yeah, hundreds of them. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, fantastic because the, I mean, like you just said, hey, sometimes it's just a card. Here we go, uh, and this symbol represents that. Let's let's let yeah. the story own it, right? Um, the PDF also comes with all the adventures that I published up until Master Edition. So it's 120 pages or so of adventures that I wrote for Index Card RPG. So yeah. they range from super simple little things to like attacks on flying ships yeah. or uh, there's one where there's a giant insect thing that's walking over the landscape. You need to get inside of it and it's kind of like a moving dungeon and there's all kinds of crazy stuff in there and it all kind of bundled into a big mess. And anybody out there who's looking to get into this and is experiencing financial trouble and even 15 bucks can be expensive, just email me. It's hankering.fernail at gmail. Email me and I'll hook you up. Oh, dude, that's so awesome. Um, wait. I uh, I can't thank you enough uh, that uh, this is, uh, like I said, on the weekend, I'm doing all this homework and I was fired. I'm like, I want to I talk to this guy. So I just, I just, <laughs> I messaged you and immediately you're like, yeah, this sounds like fun. And I thought, okay, let the, let the dice, I mean, I guess I'm rolling 20s. I'm gonna, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to keep rolling 20s until I, until I crit fail and, and say something offensive. <laughs> um, uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, uh, thank you once again for taking the time to uh, uh, come on the designer series. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, um, everybody kind of moves over and has a look and and takes the time to see the uh, the fun times like uh, that come into this uh, stream down like <laughs> the PAF of all <laughs> ICRPG. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much once again. Thanks, Tom, man. I really appreciate it. That was such a fun interview. Uh, thank you very much, Hank. And uh, <laughs> the uh, the designer series, uh, I love uh, getting the opportunity to touch base with these individuals. I love speaking to creatives. And uh, you need to take the time to go check out Drive Through RPG and uh, check out Runehammer Games. Uh, you can also find the content of. Uh, of uh, Index Card RPG Master Edition on modifius.com and runehammergames.com. So once again, thank you to uh, Hank and thank you to you for taking the time to listen. 
and uh, we'll catch you later. Oh, 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 oh,